We're going to continue in our Advent series on the names of Jesus. And uh, I thank Heath for his excellent uh, introduction to that last week as we looked at the genealogy of Jesus. And um, this week we're going to continue right on uh, with Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. And today uh, we're going to look at the name of Jesus. The specific name of Jesus that we're going to look at today is Jesus. <laughs> so. The name of Jesus. He's Jesus the Christ. He's Jesus Emmanuel. He's Jesus Lord. Today, Jesus. And so let's look now at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, we come to you this morning. We ask that you would... Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts uh, to the meaning and all that's vested in the name of Jesus, that we might receive him as our Savior, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just a, a little bit of a recap of what we have here in the text. We've got Joseph and Mary. They're betrothed to be married, and we... Uh, some of you would know that betrothal is sort of like engagement, but it is more binding. It's a legally binding commitment. And Joseph found that Mary was with child, and uh, that was not uh, Joseph's child. And so he sought to uh, divorce her quietly. And as he was contemplating these things, an angel came to him while he was asleep in his dream and said to him, what is conceived in Mary is of the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle. And uh, in addition to this, uh, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And we learn in verse 28 that that, in fact, is what Joseph did. He named the baby Jesus. What's in a name? Just last week, we had uh, some folks visiting. I see some visitors out here today. It's great to have you here with us. And they were from way out west, and they said, we send greetings from a fellow PCA church there, our pastor so-and-so. And I said, when you get back to the church, tell Speedy, I said, hello. And uh, the church member kind of snickered a little bit. Um, And maybe he had or maybe he hadn't heard the pastor's name. Uh, Nickname was Speedy. And uh, that's how I knew him 30 years prior when we were in campus ministry together. Everybody called him Speedy. I remember somebody said, isn't that a great name for Speedy? It just fits him so well. I don't know why they meant that. Maybe it was because he was a drummer 
And, uh, you know, I don't know. But anyway, sometimes our nicknames actually do convey something of who we are. But in general, our names don't do that in our culture. But in this culture, names were significant. And the angel, in no uncertain terms, was connecting the given name of Jesus with a meaning. Every time Jesus would be called by his mother, you know, he, his mother wouldn't say, Oh, Christ, come here. Lord, come here. Emmanuel, come here. It's time to eat. No, Jesus, come here. This was the name Jesus that he would have heard time and time and time again. What did it mean? Well, it means Yahweh is salvation. Okay, that is the meaning of it. The Hebrew version of Jesus is Joshua. The Greek version is Jesus. Jesus, the angel said, was named Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. His name meant Yahweh is salvation. God, the one true God, is salvation. So that's what the name means. And then the question that I'm going to ask today is this. Why do you need from Jesus all that his name means? Okay, so what does it mean? Well, does it mean he is a savior in the sense that he will save us from oppression? Okay, we find this uh, actually in the ESV study Bible uh, right here related to this name. The name Jesus was given to sons as a symbolic hope for the Lord's anticipating sending a salvation through a Messiah who would purify his people and save them from oppression. But the angel points to a more important theme to save his people from their sins. Salvation from sins was a repeated promise in the Old Testament prophets. Well, so was saving from oppression. We see this in Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that they may be glorified, they shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations, the reversal Uh, The fortunes of the people of God, the oppressed people of God, would be changed by the coming of Messiah. Well, would he be a savior from illness? Is that why Jesus came to save us from our illnesses? Again, the prophet Isaiah says this, Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. Result, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Or maybe he's come to save you from want, to save you from hunger, to save you from poverty. Ezekiel the prophet said in chapter 34, verse 23, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. 
and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. And in a broader sense, we see the prophecy in the Old Testament of this reversal of everything, of the world, the cursed earth. It's going to be changed. The world, the, in Isaiah chapter 11, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the people's. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. We read in the New Testament that we still look forward to this. We look forward to the glorification, uh, the restoration, the recreation of the earth, as well as our own physical bodies. And we look forward to the new heavens and the new earth that are spoken of in the book of Revelation. Well... Maybe Jesus has come to be a savior to save us from isolation. Won't speak too much on this. Some of you can relate to this. You're alone. Well, he's created a flock. He's created a people, as we've already mentioned. Maybe he came to be a savior from ignorance. A lot of people think that Jesus primarily came here to be a great teacher. And he did indeed come to teach and to save us from ignorance. We talked about this in the Gospel of Mark near the beginning of our sermon series on Mark where, where uh, Peter was all excited. They were healing people and people were coming left and right to be healed. And so Jesus went out the next morning and Peter said, hey, 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 where are you? Come on back. We need to do some more healing. And Jesus said this. He said, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. I'm here to preach. I'm here to let people know. You know, we live in a day, as I've mentioned before, where there's all kinds of voices, all kinds of teachers. You get online. If you just read this article online, you know, the 30 pages of it, you get to the end of it, you might find out that this will solve all the problems you have with health or maybe your finances. If you just pay $49.95 uh, for whatever it is that's touting, you know, there's all these voices out there. There is one that is absolutely reliable. We can listen to Jesus. Or maybe he came to be your emotional savior. Some of you remember the words of Mick Jagger. I'll be your savior, steadfast and true. I'll come to your emotional rescue. I'll be your knight in shining armor, riding across the desert on a fine Arab charger. Right? Any of you remember that song? Some of you do. Well, how about Jesus? prophesied of him in Isaiah 40, verses 10 and 11. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead them, lead those that are with young. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are weary laden, and I will give you rest. Yes, Jesus is that emotional Savior. 
And those things are true, but those things are not ultimate. You need all that the name Jesus means. And it means more than simply these things, particularly in this life, in the here and now. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the story from the Old Testament, uh, Daniel's friends, and they're refusing to bow down to the idol in Babylon, and they're told, we're going to send you into the fiery furnace. And so they say to the king, they said, uh, we're not going to do it. Uh, the God, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. All right, full stop. That's it. Is that all they said? But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They're not putting their hope only in the fact that Jesus can save them in the here and now. Why is that? Because they understand that there's a salvation that is more significant even than that. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 34, the author of Hebrews says, For you had had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And then Hebrews eleven sixteen. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And then finally, Hebrews eleven thirty five. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. There's an ultimate salvation. We don't need just a stopgap salvation. You know, we don't need just a stopgap savior. Somebody to kind of get us, you know, get us over the hump. Lord, would you do that? I can handle it from here. Just kind of get me over my illness. Just kind of get me over my financial difficulty. I'll be fine. No, we have an ultimate need. And our ultimate need is for an an ultimate savior who will save us from our sins. The name Jesus, Yahweh saves. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Now, we live in a day and age, and I suppose it's true of every day and age, that there are certain things that make it difficult for people to own up to the fact that their sins are something that are extremely serious before God. And one of the reasons why that is, is sometimes sins, vices are actually considered virtues, um, which makes it very difficult. I think that in terms of the, the current climate that we live in, in terms of homosexuality, where it's considered not a vice, but a virtue by many. And uh, in case you're visiting with us today, um, uh, just to let you know, I'm not, um, we sin in a variety of ways. And if somebody here is struggling with homosexuality, I'm glad you're here. Glad you're here among us, but it is a sin. And, you know, friends don't let friends drive drunk and friends don't let friends go to hell. And we need to repent of our sins. We have a savior who can save us from the penalty of our sins. And that is uh, true of that sin. I think of um, uh, the Wall Street movie, Gordon Gecko. I think it was back in the 80s. Greed is good. No, no, it's not good. 
Greed is not good. It is, it is something that is sinful that will separate us from God and bring God's judgment. So back in the day of the apostles, it was idolatry, right? If I, or if I worship a certain idol, this is a good thing. You're telling me this is bad, this is wrong? Yes, it is bad, it is wrong. So part of what we need to hear uh, as, we, as we're aware of our culture around us is that our, our vices... Uh, that are actually uh, presented as virtues. But I think something that's probably even more significant is uh, just the downplaying of sin. I'll have people, uh, people come and talk to me. A guy will say, I'm living with my girlfriend, pastor. You know, I'm living in sin. Wink, wink. Isn't that cute? It's like, no, that is not cute. That is not cute. That is sin that will separate you from God for all eternity. And we live uh, and we're tempted to think of sin as something that is not that significant, of little consequence. Um, I think of a movie. It's kind of a silly movie. It's a comedy. Uh, and I'm, the, the scene I'm about to portray was not portrayed very realistically. It was portrayed ridiculously. But you have a, a, a knight, and he is guarding the entrance and uh, he will not let this person pass. And so they're engaged in a sword fight. And so um, his one arm gets lopped off. And then his other arm gets lopped off. And he continues to fight. He kicks at the person with the other sword. And then his leg is lopped off. He's got one leg left. And finally, his last leg is lopped off. And the knight says, it's only a flesh wound. Right? No, it's not just a flesh wound. It's a mortal wound. And the Bible says that sin is not just a flesh wound. It is a mortal wound. The wages of sin is death. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 says, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of these the wrath of God is coming. And then he goes on to add anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We're in trouble. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all in this boat of needing salvation from our sins. What is our hope? Romans 5.9, Since therefore we now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. Whose blood? The blood of Jesus. Jesus came to be the one who would save us from our sins. In the Old Testament, the sacrifices prefigured Christ. Somebody would come and they would bring an animal to the temple and that animal's blood would be shed. That animal would be a substitute for the sin of the person presenting that animal. And that animal, of course, could not take away sins, but Jesus... God with us took on flesh and lived a perfect life. Why? So that he might die for your sins, that he might pay the penalty for your sins, that he might live the perfect life in your place. And so there is a need created by sin, and that is death. And we're liable to death and judgment. We're liable to hell. And we need to be forgiven We need a restored relationship with God, and it can only happen by Jesus and his blood and his sacrifice. We need a new heart to follow after God. 
We need eternal life, not just eternal existence. We need eternal life in every way. We need to experience that now in part in, in all eternity with Jesus Christ. A heavenly citizenship, a heavenly body, a heavenly experience. And so don't think that Jesus is just sort of about tweaking this world and making it a little better, right? If that's your concept of the name of Jesus as a savior, then you don't know Jesus. You don't know all that the name of Jesus means and what it means in its most significant ways. You see, if you have Jesus in the most significant way as a savior of your sins and from your sins, then you will experience all those other ways in which he will one day completely save us from oppression. He will save us from ill health. He will save us from need. All of those ways you get if you know and trust in Jesus as your ultimate savior, a savior from your sins. With John the Baptist, when he was born, his father, who was a priest, prophesied of him in this way. He said, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation. And what would that be? To his people in the forgiveness of their sins. And so the the prophets of the apostles of Jesus Christ said this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what? You will be saved. Put your faith in Jesus. How is it that you receive the name of Jesus and all that it means by placing your faith in him as the one who came to save you and to die for your sins? Confess your sins to him. Admit your sins. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to downplay them. Go to him. Confess them. Ask with the Lord's help to turn from them. But trust that Jesus has paid for those sins. Bill and Gloria Gaither have a song um, that many of you will know. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name. Um, what is it about that name? Is it just, is it just that the syllables just roll off your lips? It just sounds so melodic, you know, the syllables of the name Jesus. No, there's something about that name in all that's wrapped up in the name of Jesus and what that means. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why is that? Well, some of us, like the wise men, like the kings that came in the Advent, uh, we celebrate that this time of year. They bowed before Jesus. They adored Jesus. And we will do the same. We'll bow our knee because Jesus is our Savior. He saves us from our sins. And so... We bend the knee to him. Others will bend the knee because Jesus will come as their judge. And they will be judged guilty because they've not placed their faith in the person of Jesus Christ. But we come today. That's why we're here. We are here to worship Jesus Christ. And so we sang, for instance, the very first song today that we sang, the hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus born to set thy people free. From what? From our fears and sins, release us. Or we sing at this time of year, joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. Or, O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. 
till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And a few of you will know a more contemporary song by a group, Reliant K, that says, I celebrate the day that you were born to die so I could one day pray for you to save my life. Save my life, not in some kind of nominal sense for the here and now, but for all eternity. What's in the name of Jesus? The book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, he says this, remember that a person's name is to that person the sweetest, most important sound in any language. Well, if Jesus is your savior, he's got that wrong. Doesn't matter whether it's Greek or Hebrew or English. The name Jesus is the sweetest, most important name in any language because he is the one who's come to save us from our sins. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful and we've come to worship you and your son Jesus, along with the Holy Spirit, because he has given us ultimate salvation, a salvation that can only be found in him, a salvation that is not temporary, a salvation that is complete because Jesus has met our, met our deepest need for salvation, to be saved from our sins. I pray, Father, that for all of us who have placed their faith in Jesus, that you would encourage us in these words, in this truth. And I pray, Father, for those that have not come to this point, that you would open their eyes, open their ears, open their hearts to place their faith in Jesus and to experience all of the salvation that is wrapped up in the name of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. And so appropriately, we will be looking uh, 